We all have a creative part of our brain, whether we use it or not, for generating new ideas, problem solving, and just viewing ourselves in this world. I am Ricky McEachran, an artist living in Chicago, and I am eager to know and share with you all how people of a creative leaning have brought this way of thinking to the forefront and how it has shifted outcomes. A while back, I attended the one-of-a-kind art show at the Merchandise Mart in Chicago. This is a huge show, very spread out, with lots of artwork and artists. In all of this, I spotted one collection of artwork that stood out to me from all others. Morgan's work is broken up into three main series, drip paintings, geometric paintings, and neon sculptures. I am pleased to share my conversation with Chicago artist Morgan Sims. But the drip painting started as uh, me wanting to look at imagery um, and sort of break it down, less information. So yep. the it's, it's sort of based on, you know, pixelations to a certain degree. And it's yeah. the, the reference there is not, wasn't at the time, wasn't meant to be a reference to technology or video games. I mean, maybe technology, but it wasn't really a like a, a video game reference. It was more of a image resolution type um, reference. So it was like, you know, how, how messed up or blurred out can a photo be or an image be before you, and still have recognition. So if it just comes down to colors, um, how much can, how much can you make out that image still? So that, that whole series is essentially just playing with, with abstraction in that sense of how, um, how much, how little information can you put, uh, and, and still get the idea across? Yeah, exactly. And then drips, the drips were sort of an accidental thing. Um, you know, you can take an image or something that's three-dimensional looking and then it drips and it's a it's a flat image, but yet somehow it's still, well, it's a flat image. It's got some texture to it from the drips, but it still might convey some sort of three-dimensionality. So a lot of the pieces or some of the pieces in that series I've done have been these like, you know, floating objects or spheres or something like that that's got a, a relatively plain background yeah but i've done all sorts of stuff so i've like you know I'm, I'm i'm i've done some portrait commission work in that style and i'm, I'm intending to do some more good I don't know. yeah when i first saw your work it was at a show a big center or something do you remember i think you recalled which one it was I think it was the one-of-a-kind fair at the Merchandise Mart, maybe. Yeah, that sounds right. And your work, like, jumped out at me from everything else that was there. It was so unique and different. Thank um, you. Not, yeah, not only the use, your use of color, but technique, um, everything about it. And, you know, you had two different, I recall you had two different types of, well, probably three. Um, I don't think the neon resonated with me, but definitely the, the geometric stuff I thought mm -hmm. was fantastic and the drip stuff, uh, Thank thought, you. I, you know, and those are both very different. Okay. So tell me about the, the geometric stuff, if you could, like where that came from. Yeah. Um, I think at the time, I think I wanted to move away from, from imagery to a certain degree, as far as painting goes and do something different. Mm. Um, so the, the first geometric paintings I were doing was doing were, were based on graph paper sketches, just, um, little isometric perspective drawings that um, I wanted to challenge myself to be able to make a shaped canvas to fit that drawing. Um, and I was, I also wanted to completely change my, I guess, technique um, of how I applied paint. So I, I thought it would be interesting to try to um, 
just sort of stain the painting, so uh, soak the color into them. So the first ones I did anyways were designs that were laid flat, worked out in pencil on a, on a linen or a canvas, and then I would take watered-down acrylic and sort of soak colors into little areas. So essentially just working with shapes within the canvas. Um, and then I would build up transparent layers to get the values that I wanted. You know, it'd be a very simple image, like maybe um, a square divided into four triangles or something. And I'd want it to look like, you know, one triangle was 80% gray and another one 60% gray, another one 40% gray. So I had a, you know, a spiral of values. I don't think I actually made a painting like that, but something like that, you know, where I would, essentially the color didn't really matter. I was just layering transparent colors and trying to get them to become a certain value in the end. And, and a lot of times I ended up being grays and browns and kind of muted colors. Um, and then at different points, I, I wanted to make them more colorful. So then I would let a wash of primary colors drip down it or something. Yep. So if um, some of those paintings that look very geometric and almost optical type geometric designs um, have splashy colors over them, et cetera. So that's how that started. It's just a departure from yeah. the drip paintings. Tell me about um, neon. Um, that's super cool. Uh, neon is, is really fun. Um, it's, it's like got a, a kind of a magical presence. I feel, you know, when you turn on neon and you look at it, it's exciting. I still get excited looking at neon, but then as a, a material to work with, it's, it's difficult. There's people that are really good at it because they've been doing it for a really long time. I, I consider myself like intermediate or something as far as neon goes. Like I'm capable of making things, but it's hard for me. So, you know, there's certain things I don't do. Um, not that I will never do it, but it's, you know, I do some enough different things that I'm, you know, even though I've been doing neon for 10 years now, it's not like it's, you know, I might go six months where I didn't make a neon piece because I was so busy working yeah. on paintings. Or something. Is it hot? It is hot. It is hot. And so, so the, the tubes come in fixed lengths. And, yes. Okay. And then the different uh, colors are different gases? Both, yes. So um, the tubes, um, they, you know, usually come in four or five foot lengths and they're straight and they're different diameters. Um, and the glass uh, uh, usually is a clear glass with a phosphor coating on the inside and that phosphor coating reacts with the gas that you put in it to make the color it needs to be. But then there are also um, you know, specialty colors that are colored glass with phosphor coating and then um, that reacts with the gas to create a color. So you have like a you know, you have a rainbow of colors you can get out of neon, but the only way you're going to get a deep blue or a deep purple or a deep emerald green is if the glass is actually that color, plus it has the phosphor coating that will react with the gas. Um, so if it doesn't have a phosphor coating, will it glow? It will glow the color of the natural state of the gas. So Which is neon, what? The two, your two most common gases are neon and argon. So neon is open sign orange and argon is um uh, like an electric blue um there's a so cool. there's other gases yeah it's very cool so what is cool about neon and what i like to do with color a lot is um and it, you know everybody does this because you can achieve certain colors by mixing one gas with a different tube so the the most 
don't know if it's the most common one, but a common one would be to take a, a tube that's supposed to be blue when you fill it with argon. It's got a coating in it to make it like a, you know, a sky blue or something. If you fill that tube with neon, it becomes bubblegum pink. So your most of the pink neon signs you see are probably blue tubes meant to be blue that have a neon gas in them. So if you look at a neon sign near the ends where the wires come out, yeah. a lot of times there's a little section where you can just see the the gas color. Um, uh, the so wait, you're not, not you're not doing any. You buy all these tubes pre-filled with the gas and with the coating, right? And you're no. just bending. Oh. Uh, you buy them and they're empty tubes. Oh. You bend it into the shape you want. So you do all your fabricating and then there's a process called bombarding where you're, um, pumping the tube with gas oh. after the piece is already made. Cool. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Okay. That's fascinating. Yes. Once the gas is in there, you don't really want to be, you know, torching it so much. Um, uh, but yeah, so it's you know you're it's called it's like flame working basically as far as glass goes. Like and again, I'm I don't have a glass blowing background, but I did you know I've done been doing neon and I have torches that I work with. Um, and essentially, you you build your piece on a table and you you know bend little sections, lay them on the table, and then you seam those sections together if you have a complicated piece. And then when it's all ready, then you um, then you bombard it and you fill it with the gas. So, um, amazing. I'm from Boston and, uh, we did not have all of the old school neon signs that are still around uh, here in Chicago. Like they've all had been removed and, uh, there's a lot of it, uh, still here. There's that place on Lawrence. Is it Lawrence that has, says chop suey. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure I've been by there, but I'm not, it's amazing. Not up there that often, so I don't know if I know. But yeah, there's. I mean, the complexity of neon signage back when it was, um, you know, the popular, you know, sign to make. It's like they're huge, and there's like so many, so many pieces to the neon. It, um, you know, and that's like it's always a challenge is installing neon and dealing with the wiring and all that. It's like um, uh, it makes it seem like what I do is not difficult at all, but you know, that's just sign stuff, I guess for, yeah. um, you know, you can get into animating signs and, and stuff like that, which I haven't really gotten too much into with neon. Um, yeah. but I was going to say there's other gases that people use that I, I haven't used, but, um, uh, is it Krypton is sort of a silvery color. Um, and then helium, Again, I, I haven't used that, so I don't have too much experience, but I believe helium is sort of warm, like neon. They're all the noble gases. Yeah. Did you, so you know they're all unreactive? Did you know uh, you, I don't know the, the chemistry side of it so much, so I would be happy to hear. Yeah. Oh, so they are, um, yeah. they are all completely un, unreactive. Um, so when you, when right. you think of like how atoms work, and you, uh, an atom is very reactive because it has, it's like missing a, uh, you, you want right. eight, you want eight electrons. Um, right. and if you have seven electrons, which is like chlorine, like it's very right. reactive. It's like looking okay. for that electron, all of the noble gases, they all have eight electrons. So they're completely stable. Okay. 
and they're basically unreactive. That's gotcha. why you can inhale helium. It's not going to do anything. Right. Um, gotcha. So it do, they don't really. So you would never you would never hear of an a um, a chemical formula that has a noble gas in it. Gotcha. There's no like cool. helium bromide. It's right. always they're always on their own. Right. Um, so, okay. and I think that's why they're called cool. noble gases or something, but. Okay. So they don't, they don't attach to other things. Is that kind of like what you mean? Yeah. They don't attack. Yeah. They're always on their own. Gotcha. They're solo. Um, cool. I, one thing I love about living in Chicago is I'm always meeting new people, you know, so um, it's a big city and there's people coming in and out and there's a lot of artists here. Um, it's, it's really uh, you know, obviously the pandemic makes it harder to go to art shows and meet people, you know, the old way, but I feel like, um, I enjoy meeting new people, um, you know, at different venues and, you know, if it's online, that's cool. But, um, uh, that's one thing I really love about Chicago. I pretty much immediately gravitated towards cities from where I grew up was more rural and it was a, it's a, I, I love going back to visit and I, I like California a lot, but I enjoy being in a city that's, that has more, more art stuff happening, I guess. I think at a certain point I realized that it didn't necessarily, I didn't know how I was going to make a living doing what I was doing. Um, and it, and to a certain degree, it didn't matter at a certain point. I just knew what I liked to do and, um, it kept moving in that direction. And I know that's not like the best plan as far as going about earning a living, but I think it's interesting or it's been interesting. You know, I didn't decide to go to grad school right away. Like I was out of um, undergrad. I had a degree, I was working and I wasn't even really making art for a couple of years and then decided I wanted to get back into it and go to graduate school. So it sounds like you were sort of just focusing on doing what seemed like the right thing to do and not worrying yeah. too much about the future and just kind of having faith that things were going to work out. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I think especially early on, I had that sort of faith. I mean, it's definitely a certain amount of privilege to be able to wing it, you know, and feel like I can wing it, but I didn't, you know, I've had to, I've had to figure things out and struggle through things and, you know, work the whole time doing trying to trying to make one part of my life work by working with another part you know some of this stuff you feel like you can choose but you know you, you kind of just go with what feels right I think yeah I think That's a lot of people don't though like I think a lot of people <laughs> they don't go with what feels right they do with what they they go with what they think they should be doing and it sometimes right. that works out a lot of times that causes a lot of problems because um, sure. people end up working really, really hard at something that isn't necessarily a good fit for like who they are. Um, and you know, and with many people yeah. who, you know, whatever, that's part of life with a lot of, a lot of people that causes a lot of problems. Yeah, I think so. Um, that, that makes sense to me. I mean, it's also too, I mean, people change, so you want to leave your options open. I feel like, yeah. um, you know, if, if you can, um, but at the same time you have to, um, you have to devote yourself to something if you want to get, you know, if you want to put,
push it as far as you feel like you can push it, then you have to push yourself to do that. So, you know, I don't want to say that that necessarily makes you better at it, but I would imagine so. You know, keep, keeping your options open so that you can try new things if you're feeling stuck and, you know, maybe you're in some career path or something that you don't like. So I believe in that. But at the same time, I, I also understand that, you know, like I feel like I've had to do art for a really long time to um, to get to where I am. Um, and I still feel like I have somewhere, you know, places to go with that. So, um, so I, I say, you know, having an open mind and leaving your options open is one thing, but at the same time, you kind of have to not quit what you're doing if you want to keep pushing yourself. But, well, thank you so much for talking to me. This was great. Yeah. Thanks for, you know, inviting me. So, uh, it's cool. I've listened to a few of the, you know, podcasts, you know, going back and, uh, it's super interesting to hear from people. So, um, hadn't thought of doing something like this before you asked me though. So. Oh, you had never done one before? No. Mm-mm. Okay. I actually don't even, I mean, I've listened to podcasts. I mean, man, I'm like, I only recently got Spotify to where I can listen to different things. So I'm like, you know, I was like CDs in the car <laughs> up until like a year or two ago. So. All right. well, I'm like, I, well, hopefully yeah. I brought you up to 2020. Yeah, right. My name is Ricky McGeckrin, and you have been listening to Eager to Know, the podcast. If you haven't already, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Eager to Know podcast.